We're in the book of Jude together, and um, these verses are so important for us. The whole book is. And I can't emphasize that enough. I'm tr- I'm, I'll try to do that every time I stand and preach through these 25 verses. We've come to verse number 4. That's the only verse we'll have this morning. I really believe that the Lord Jesus Christ were here, he would emphasize these things because it is the truth about the days in which we live right before his coming. And so I want to start reading back in verse number one again. Hopefully by the time we get through with this book, it will be staying on your heart and mind. You won't forget about these things as we read the verses over and over. Jude, verse number one, the Bible says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, Ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse number four has several things in it. It's telling us why we need to earnestly contend for the faith. We preached about a great salvation, we've preached about a common salvation, we have preached about a worthy salvation, worthy of our fighting for it. But when we get to verse number four, we're going to talk about why all of that is necessary to contend for the faith. And much of the rest of the book is an explanation of verse number four. If I had to entitle the message, I would call it Religious Creeps. Only because that's what the text says in verse number four. For there are certain men crept in unawares. Now, these certain men that have come into the sphere or the domain of the people of God are not, they're not atheists. We have a lot of atheists in the world today. That crowd is growing. If you didn't know that, that is truth. In our own country, people that just totally reject God, reject the Bible. That's a growing number of people. This is not written about atheists. It's not atheism that is going to be the peril of the last days according to the Bible. Though, of course, that's awful. There have always been people that didn't believe in God and and their eternity is set and they're fools, the Bible says, because they believe there's no God. That's not the problem right before the coming of the Lord. That's not who these men are. These men are not agnostics. They are not secularists, that is. They, that is to say, they're not people that just are not interested in church and they could take it or leave it and never go. That, that's not who these people are. That is causing such havoc and problem for the people of God in the last days. Th- these aren't the heathen. It's not the heathen people that he's talking about that are totally given over to 
All the wickedness that Satan's children are involved in. That's not the issue. And that's not really the issue that's going to bother your life either. He says, these certain men, for there are certain men, watch it now, crept in unawares. Certain men crept in. That means they have come in to where you are. They are in your place of living, your place of dwelling, your sphere of belief, your area of life and worship. They are, they have crept in. They're not on the outside, they're on the inside. And these are the ones that are causing the problem in the day of apostasy. Now when I think of creeping, I think of how the Old Testament talks about creeping things. When I think of creeping, I think of a snake that creeps around. And you don't want snakes. You'll be like uh, Miss Gail came in the office. She said, uh, come. Well, what's wrong, Gail? Foyer, snake. I don't think anybody would enjoy the fact of knowing that there would be snakes creeping around in the church house or around you. Well, we don't want that. We're interested in the creeping things. Not just animals creep. Of course, thieves creep through to steal and rob from you. And the devil's trying to rob something from you. He's trying to creep around for his own purposes. But he does it in the confines of where you're living. It's not those heathen people that are out there. It's the... People that are creeping into your life. Leviticus 11 tells us we need to stay away from the unclean creeping things. I was reading about some of those creeping things and they detailed them in the Old Testament. And some of them, he talked about the mouse or the weasel. (laughs) Unclean creeping things like the mouse or the weasel. I started thinking about weasel. I don't, I don't even know that I've ever seen a weasel, but all my life I've heard somebody said, you know, that guy's a weasel. You, you ever heard that? A weasel is a small creeping thing. A mouse. Do you want mice in your house? It, it, it's sort of funny, you know, you, you have a, an, an average size lady or, or man or whoever it might be in the house, and they'll see a mouse and they'll go crazy, you know. I remember, I remember when I was growing up, our pastor's wife, when I was just a child, and I remember jumping up on a chair because afraid of the mouse. I mean, scared to death, like the mouse is not going to hurt her. But it's a creeping thing. Creeping things are, are dirty, they carry disease. There's nobody, they, they leave trails behind them. They leave messes to pick up. They chew on things. They destroy things that are supposed to be set and proper. God says in the church of the living God, among the people of God, there are some, there's some people that are creeping in. And they're creeping in religiously. You know what I'm saying? Anybody that tries to creep into your life, when I think of creeping things, I think of things that are not out in the open. You know, a mouse. You know, it, I'm sure there's probably a mouse somewhere on the property. I mean, we have a pest control. They come by and they do their deal. But there is a mouse somewhere in this building. Does that shock anybody? I mean, I'm sure that's the case. There's probably a mouse somewhere in your house. And I know 
but, but you're all right with it because as long as you don't see it, right? Yeah, or hear it. You know, as long as I don't see it, I don't hear it, if they're there. And that's what this says. Certain men are crept in unawares. You don't know about it, but they're there. Because they don't present themselves. The mouse doesn't come into the middle of the, uh, of the hall or the living room and says, Here am I. The creeping things don't do that. I would say this about people that the devil will bring into your life. There are people that will not say what they say to you publicly. They'll say it in a corner. They'll say it privately. They'll say it secretly. But they would never play their cards out in the open in front of everyone. That's a creep. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said in John chapter 18, He said, I spake openly to the world, and in secret have I said nothing. He wasn't doing anything back door. He wasn't having a private meeting. He said, what I preached, I preached openly. You know exactly who I am, exactly what I espouse. Everything that I preach, I said it openly so you know what you're getting. A creep will just say things privately. And that's what's good about preaching. Because preaching tends and it's supposed to expose the creeping things. Preaching and contending for the faith. There's something that the creeps don't like. They don't like earnestly contending for the faith. They don't like that, that solid preaching that shines the light on everything. They want to stay in the background. These are creeps. These are men that are crept in unawares. The Bible says they're ungodly men. Do you see that in verse number 4? For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men. Over and over in this book you'll have a discussion of ungodly men. You see that in verse 15. It's the most often used word uh, in that verse and in the whole Bible, in one verse, it talks about to execute the second coming of Christ, will execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. The devil will bring ungodly people into your life even in the form of religiousness or Christianity. But they're ungodly people. He said in verse 18 of this book, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves. Sensual. They're ungodly people. Ungodly. You, you need to be around godly people. People that have the character of God. The, the morals of God. The ethics of the Lord. And all that the devil tries to do in our day of apostasy to destroy churches and destroy families and destroy individuals from following Christ is just to bring these certain individuals that creep into their life, these ungodly influences. Because though you may not do the things that they're doing, if you let them creep into your life, pretty soon they will affect you and you'll start believing like they believe and living like they live. And making decisions that they make. 
ungodly men. He says, before of old ordained to this condemnation. You know what? God has appointed anybody that's disobedient to the word will stumble thereby. God's going to judge the ungodly. He's going to do it at the second coming of Christ. But this whole book is an illustration of how God has ordained or appointed that if anyone comes to, tries to represent him and is in an ungodly manner, that God's going to bring condemnation in their life. It doesn't matter if it's the angels that live in heaven. That's in verse number 6. It doesn't matter uh, if it's uh, Cain in verse number 11 that's bringing his offering to the Lord. It doesn't matter if it's Balaam who is prophesying or Korah that's in uh, the assembly that looks like a leader in the church. If they are ungodly, God says they are ordained to this condemnation. God will condemn ungodliness. And though the day of apostasy, it looks like that there's no recourse, there's no payment for ungodliness. God says the condemnation is ordained and appointed. Beware of the ungodly trying to creep into your life. When you study those that have crept in, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 2, Paul gives us the illustration of false brethren that were brought in. They creeped in and they spied out. They were spying on them in their lives. He said they're false brethren. They look like brethren, but they're not brethren. Guys, everybody that says they're saved is not saved. Everybody that goes to church is not a godly person. Everybody that looks like your friend is not a godly influence on your life. And God warns us in the day of apostasy, it is so important that you not let the wrong people creep into your life. That's the warning. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about these last days. He says there will be false prophets and false teachers among you. And they're going to bring in damnable... They're not going to be out there. They're going to be among you. They're going to try to get you to change your beliefs. Trying to get you to change your doctrine. They're, they crept in to creep into your life and your heart and your system of belief. So you'll change the good things you've been taught and the good ways of God that He's tried to put in your heart. And so here comes the false prophets and the false brethren and the false teachers to try to creep into your life and get you to think something that God doesn't want you to think and believe something that God does not want you to believe. Look at Luke chapter 21 and on your way there, would you grab 2 Timothy chapter 3? I find that word creep in again in 2 Timothy chapter 3. You can get that on the way with your other hand to Luke chapter 21. He says these men are crept in unawares. You don't know that they're there. You're not aware of what you're being influenced with. You know that while you're turning those two passages, you know what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13? That sometimes we have entertained angels unawares. Do you know that you may have been in the presence of an angel in your life and you didn't know it? That's what the Bible says. Now, I don't believe all these people that write about, you know, I saw an angel this... (laughs) No, if you saw an angel, you'd be like John. You'd fall down like you're dead. (laughs) Normally when angels appear, they just look like people. I believe in angels. And I'm sure 
that somewhere in my life, there's either been an angel outside the car or inside the car or somewhere outside the house or somewhere in my vicinity. And I didn't even know it. I had no idea that there was an angel there. The Bible even says that the angels desire to look into the, to our services, to our preaching. I've often thought that that's, that's rather ironic. Angels are more interested in church than people are. And they really don't need to come because this is not about them. <laughs> they don't even know what we're talking about. They're not redeemed. They don't have the Holy Ghost. They don't have what we have. They don't understand. What we... But yet they're interested. There could be an... There's probably angels here right here this morning. And we... We're not aware of it. Do you believe that? Well, now, let's turn that around. If there can be an angel unaware in your life, you think there can be a devil in your life unaware? You you think there might be a devil in your car or outside your house rubbing shoulders with you or sitting next to you or trying to influence you for evil? You think that's possible? Oh, it would be so good, you know, if they... They appeared in a red suit or horns or something. No. If the devil is in your lap, you probably won't know it. Well, why is that? Because he creeps in. He scurries in. Doesn't show himself. Look at 2 Timothy. There's that word again. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 6. Well, let's let's back up. Verse 1. What a text that matches the day we live in and also the book of Jude. 2 Timothy 3.1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. That's where we live. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers. What a commentary on humanity. Verse 5, but see, see, this is not a, (laughs) guys, this is not a commentary of the heathen or the wicked or the atheist crowd or the secularists. Look at verse 5, having a form of godliness. These are people that are trying to look like Christians. These are people that have a religiosity about them. A form of guns, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Look at verse 6. For of this sort are they which... What's the word? Creep into what? Now look, if I... I'll do my best to keep the creeps out of the church house. If they expose themselves, they'll, they'll, they'll get cut up. We have, we have good pest control here. Yeah, and we're not afraid to use that. But I can't keep the creeping things out of your house. You see what it says in the last days? Not that they're creeping into the church house. They're creeping into your house. Where you live privately. It's not my job to come to your house. It's not my job for, for your house to, to, to be what it ought to be. That's your sphere of authority and responsibility 
this verse says, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts. I believe there's probably a greater attack on our women today in the church than any other day in history. I'm just reading the Bible. Creeping into houses. Why? To get a hold of mom's heart, to get a hold of, of the young lady's heart. To get their minds changed, to get their priorities, their values, their spirits changed. They creep into houses to attack the women in the house. That's what it says. In the last days will happen. Well, how, if this is all happening unawares, how do I stop that? How do I recognize that? Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. I think Jesus gave us a good reason why these things creep into our lives unawares and we're, we are unaware of it. We just don't see it coming. We don't, we don't see the influence. We don't see the devil there. We don't see the deception there. We don't see the change that's coming. We don't see the apostasy and falling away in our own life. Why do we not see it? Luke chapter 21. Jesus said, Verse 34. Look at it. Jesus said, And take heed to what? Okay. Very first thing. Take heed to yourself. Do not take heed to Washington, D.C. You've got enough to take care of. Do you know how we get so distracted? We have got enough to take care of in our own family. And we've got enough to take care of in our own heart. Jesus said, take heed to yourself. You make sure that you're right with God. If, if you know in your heart there was a time that you were closer to God than you are now, then you need to take heed to yourself. And you need to get closer to God as we sang this morning. Draw me near, blessed Lord. And you need to examine your heart and cleanse your heart. And you need to take a step up with God. Take heed to yourselves. Watch it. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged. (laughs) Oh, I think I live in that day. People's hearts are overcharged. I'm not talking about your credit card. I'm talking about your heart. Too many charges there. It's too much built up there. He said, take heed to yourself, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness. Now, surfeiting, that's just, in a nice way, that's eating so much that you throw up so you can eat some more. Is that a nice way? You are so involved with pleasing yourself with food, and then he puts drunkenness there. You're so involved in wanting to feel good and having some kind of inebriate that it's your life because you've got all this overchargedness of your heart, so you try to find an escape. You try to find a way to get out from underneath this, this pressure and this stress, and maybe it's a bottle, and maybe it's, it's gluttony, or maybe it's some other thing of the flesh just to sort of appease yourself because you are so mixed up on the inside that you turn to these pleasures to try to get satisfied on the inside. Am I preaching all right? And God says when you do that, you're setting yourself up for something to creep into your life. 
But not only that, look at, he says, drunkenness. Now watch it. This is a totally different issue. He said, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness. And what? Cares of this life. Do you see that? When you get so consumed with the cares of this life and the burdens of this life and the problems of this life, you are setting up yourself for somebody to creep in your life. You know who creeps prey on? The creeps prey on people that have problems that they can't deal with. You know who the devil sends a creep to? Somebody that's overwhelmed in their heart. Look at the text. The cares of this life. Watch it. And so, because that's true, you're so overwhelmed with the cares of this life or you're so overwhelmed with pleasing yourself with another feeling. And so that day come upon you. What's the word? Unawares. You were you were so distracted with the cares of life. Or you were so distracted by wanting to please yourself that you were unaware of what is coming. You were unaware of the danger because you were distracted. And all you could think about was this. And all you could concentrate on this. And here the creeping things are scurrying around in your life and you don't even see them because you are overwhelmed with being distracted over other things. You say, well, preacher, what do we do with the cares of this life? Aren't you glad the Bible tells us what to do? Casting all your care upon who? Him. Not your friend. Not your family, not your therapist, not even your pastor. I want to help you, but I tell you what, according to the Bible, the only way you can really get help with your care, you have got to get it to Jesus. That's what he said. There are people overwhelmed with so many issues of life that nobody on this planet can give them consolation, can give them peace. He said, casting all, A-double-L, all your care on Him. Cast it. Throw it. Didn't say pray about it. Didn't say give it. It said, cast it. Like grabbing a ball and just throwing it. Giving it to God. So how do I do that? I don't know that I explain how to do that, but I can tell you to do that. Because if not, here comes the creeps. And you'll never see them. Because you're consumed with this issue of life. He says these things creep into your life. They're going to lead you astray. Go back to our text. So the first thing I see about these men, they're creeping men. I'm still in verse number four. He says, For there are certain men crept in unawares 
who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of, of our God into lasciviousness. So the first point is these certain men, they're creeping. The second point that he tells us, they are turning something. They're turning, they're turning God's grace. Isn't God's grace a wonderful thing? For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. The grace of God brings salvation. We're not in debt. To, we have the grace of God, the favor of God brought into our life. What a wonderful word, grace. You know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that we through His poverty might be, might be rich. What a blessing it is to experience the grace of God, the favor of God that we do not deserve. But the creeping men, they turn the grace of God into something else. They turn it into lasciviousness. Now that's a big long word. So why is that word in the Bible? Because it describes something. The word lascivious, if you look it up in the dictionary and you try to study out what words mean. Lasciviousness refers to loose living. It refers to lewd living. Or lustful living. Or as the old 1828 Webster's Dictionary says, it is the irregular indulgence of animal desires. In other words, it's you just turning yourself loose to do whatever you want to do. Now, what happens here is these men, they don't espouse lasciviousness. These, these people that are brought into the lives of God's people, they're not telling you to do this wicked act and this other wicked act. No, they don't do that. They, what they are espousing is that the grace of God, the grace of God, God's favor, and God's not mad at you, and He'll never be mad at you, and He, He's just a loving, accepting God, and He's accepted you, and, and you're His beloved, and, and because you're His beloved, and because salvation is by grace, and because our lives are filled with the grace of God, the manifold grace of God. I tell you what, God's grace is so good that, hey, whatever you want to do, just do it because God's good. God's got plenty of grace, just whatever, however you want to live. They don't preach wickedness, no. They preach that just the grace of God has no restrictions for your life. Now listen. He said, earnestly contend for the faith. You know what What we have to contend with? We don't like our forefathers. Our forefathers had to, they had doctrinal contentions. <laughs> they, our forefathers in days gone past, they had to fight over the deity of Christ. Brother Lamb here, he's been in the ministry. How many years, Brother Lamb? Fifty years. I guarantee you the problems that he saw 50 years ago have nothing to do with the problems that we're facing today. We have a whole different set of problems. There was a day when we had to fight over doctrinal issues about the deity of Christ, about the blood of Christ, about how people were saved. 
Whether they're saved by works or saved by grace. I know some of that is still there. But that's not, our, that's not the main battle of the last days. That was a doctrinal battle about the inspiration of the Scripture. Is the Bible really the Word of God? Is it really preserved? Is it inspired? Is it true? That was the fight of the past. The fight right before Jesus comes is not a doctrinal fight. It's a fight with the flesh. It's a fleshly fight. It's a fight over the lifestyles and the ungodliness of people. Just look in this text. He mentions it over and over again. Look at verse number 8. Jude verse number 8. He says, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the what? The flesh. In verse number 16. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own what? Lusts. You see that? Verse number 19. These be they who separate themselves. Sensual. The fight of the last days is, is not going to even be about the structure of the church or the government of the church or how the fight of the last days is the sensuality of people and the flesh life of people that say they're connected with God. Just it's the grace of God. And here's the truth. You can't fight the good fight of faith if you can't even overcome your own flesh. Here's the attack of the devil. Just get us all to give into our flesh. Oh, but the grace of God, you know, this grace only movement. There's no such thing as grace only. Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. As a matter of fact, would you turn over to the book of Titus? These people. This is our, you know, guys, there's a church on every corner. For to live like however you want to live. And then make yourself feel make yourself feel good about it. Well, I went to church. I got I got a good church. What's your church? Well, I, it, they just make me feel good. In other words, there's no conviction. In other words, there's no guilt. Because, hey, the grace of God, isn't God great? God's just so accepting and loving and kind and good and we've got His unmerited favor. It doesn't matter how we live. That is turning God's grace into lasciviousness. That's putting God together with wickedness. You don't put the grace of God with lasciviousness. That's not grace at all. This grace only movement, and by the way, that's why people take denominational titles off their names. We call our, we, they call the church, you know, the, the, the bridge or the river or the stream or the hamlet or whatever. I just, just put it out there. You know why? Because if it's just a name like that, then hey man, maybe they'll accept all of my wickedness too because there are no rules. There's no restrictions. There's no organized structure of belief or standard. So everybody can just come in, do whatever they want, fill out they want and leave just the same way. And we'll never step on anybody's toes or tell anybody that anything they've done wrong. Because God is a God of grace. Well, here's the, here's the only thing wrong with that. If you have a real grace teacher, do you know grace doesn't teach about grace? 
If you had the embodiment of grace, if grace was standing here, you know what grace would say to you? Titus chapter 2, the Bible tells us. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, look at it. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. What is the next word? Okay, who or what is doing the teaching? Can somebody tell me? What? Excuse me? Grace. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. So the teacher is who? The teacher is grace. What does grace teach? Well, certainly, preacher, it teaches about grace. No. If grace is teaching you, it is not teaching you about grace. Just like when the Holy Ghost is teaching you. You know what? The Holy Ghost doesn't teach about the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost teaches you about Jesus. The Holy Ghost doesn't lift up Himself. The Holy Ghost lifts up Jesus. Grace doesn't lift up grace. Grace lifts up something else. Look at it. I didn't make this up. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that what? Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live. A great grace teaches how you ought to live. That's what the book says. That we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. If you really have a grace teacher in the pulpit, you'll have somebody preaching to you about how you should live in this present world. And We have a day in which all the liberal aspects of Christianity that are overtaking the religious world in this great movement of apostasy are saying, the grace of God means you can live however you want to live. Do do whatever you want to do. If you want to live like the devil, live like the devil. God's not mad at you. He didn't care. That is so foreign to the New Testament. You want to tattoo your body up from head to toe? Just do it. God's a God of grace. He doesn't care what you do. If you want to drink alcohol, hey, God's a God of grace. Drink a little booze. Have your beer. You want to smoke marijuana? You know, hey, Christianity is not about doing, not doing things. It's just about the grace of God. If you want to smoke, if it helps you, smoke your dope. Oh, God's got grace for us. If you want to take your clothes off and show your body to people all over, go ahead. God's got a grace. You can be a Christian and show your, your, your body off. Doesn't matter. God's not interested in the way we dress. He's just interested about grace. You're a fool. He doesn't care what you listen to on the radio. You're saved. I mean, you can even go to, I mean, they play that music in church. I mean, he's in the house. You know what the music in the modern church is? It's flesh music. It's just about the flesh. It makes you move. It's about the beat. It's about how it feels. None of that is in heaven. It's about your flesh. 
I just like to go to that church. Why? Well, I like the music. Why do you like the music there? Well, I, I just I like the music. Yeah, that's because you're ungodly. That's because you're so used to entertaining your flesh that you think now that God is someone that is to entertain your flesh. That is the fight of apostasy. People turning the grace of God into last suit. Just dress how you want, live how you want to live. I mean, God's got a grace. If, if, you wanna, if you're a woman and want to marry a woman, if you're a man, if you, it doesn't matter. You're a homosexual. You're welcome. God welcomes you in because He's a God of grace. That's what some of the popular evangelical preachers are even preaching now. God's just a God of grace. How are you, hey, He understands. No, He doesn't understand. He's trying to teach you how to live. Amen. And you've let a creep in your life that's trying to turn you. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Grace without boundaries. Grace without truth. Grace without contending. Grace without conviction. Grace without repentance. I just want a church that makes me feel good so I can go out of that church and live like the devil and I think it's all right. I remind you that though you're under the grace of God, you're not under law, you're under grace. But you are still under the law to Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 21. That means you're st- <laughs> there's still a law that's supposed to control your life. You know what it is? It's Jesus. All right, Lord, reporting for duty this morning. What do you want me to do? Oh, the creep says in church, oh, he don't care. Get off of that. Just, in, just enjoy God. I heard a preacher one day at a conference. He said, God didn't want you to do anything. He just wants you to enjoy him. <laughs> God doesn't want you to do anything. He just wants you to enjoy him. Take all that pressure off yourself. Quit worrying about all those lifestyles. He, he just wants you to experience his grace. No, there's a law of Christ. You're supposed to do what Jesus wants you to do. You're supposed to be who Jesus wants you to be. You're supposed to say what Jesus wants you to say. We're supposed to live how Jesus wants us to live. We are supposed to be carbon copies of the Son of God in this world. So let me ask you, is the way you live, would somebody look at that and say, that's Jesus? That's fastly becoming the idea of the modern world of who Jesus is. He's either effeminate or homosexual. That's their idea of Jesus now. Or cohorts with women. Or some long-haired Italian. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. So I'm asking you in the church, have you let something creep into your life that your life now doesn't look like Jesus' life anymore. Somebody's turned you. And this is what's true if that happens. Go back to our text. I'm finished with the last phrase of the, of the verse. Verse number four. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God 
into lasciviousness. Watch it. And denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. What these men do, they are creeping, they are turning, and then they cause people to deny the Lord. They are denying. Preacher, I never denied Jesus. I think I remember somebody saying that. Preacher, I love the Lord. I, I've been in this thing so long. I've been saved a long time. I will never deny Jesus Christ. Oh, I know somebody that said that more adamantly than you. And he, he, he even probably would have been more convincing to me if he had said it. We're talking about Peter. He was in the inner circle. It looks like Peter was the top apostle. He was one of three, right? But the Lord took them farther into the garden, did more with them. I mean, when you got one of your top three lieutenants, you think you could count on him, wouldn't you? Peter says, Jesus, if I would die with thee, I will not deny thee. And Jesus said, Peter, before this night's over, you're not only going to deny me, you're going to do it three times. You're going to deny me over and over and over again. You know what happens when we let the wrong people creep in our life? You'll wind up denying the Lord. You say, preacher, how would I deny the Lord? Same way Peter did. You know what Peter did? He got outside. He was supposed to be inside. He was supposed to be closer to Jesus, but he... You know what happens when you deny the Lord? You start getting away from the Lord. One little step at a time, you start just... You, he's over there, but you're over here. He is going to carry a cross, but you don't want that cross. Because if you get a cross like He gets a cross, you know what you'll have to do? If you take up your cross, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to say no to your flesh. So Peter, he's not going to say no to his flesh. No, he's outside. Lord's in there. He's outside. And you know what the Bible says he was doing? He was warming himself. Do you see that picture? This just makes me feel good. This is a warm place. This is a safe place. This is a comfortable place. Isn't the fire beautiful? Like a picture of somebody... I like fire like, it's like anybody else. I like sitting in front of the, the nice cozy fireplace. It, it's a... You know, it, it almost would take a depressed person and change their depression. They even have apps. You can put it on the TV and a fire's going and it's just a screen. You know why they do that? To make you feel better. Oh, look at the fire. Isn't it beautiful? And Peter's out there warming himself and he's comforting himself and he's, he's afraid to go as far as Jesus is. And he doesn't want to have anything to do with that cross. But he wants to comfort himself. And then the, then the, the call comes. You know Jesus. I know not the man. Leave me alone while I'm here at this fire. This feels good. No, Peter wasn't Judas. He didn't betray the Lord, but he sure denied him. And this is what I want to say to all of us this morning, including myself. 
you will either deny yourself or you will deny your Lord. You will either say no to you or you'll say no to Jesus somewhere in your life. You will either worry about how you feel, that's a fleshly thing, or you're going to worry about how he feels. Denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You can deny the doctrines. You say, preacher, I'd never do that. Well, he said in Titus 1.16, they profess that they know God, but in works, they deny him. In other words, there's more than one way to deny the Lord. It's not just with your mouth. It can be with your life. In works, they deny him. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I don't want the presence of God. I don't want the power of God. I want the feel good. I I want what makes me comfortable. I don't want the works of Jesus Christ. I want my own life. That's what creeps in. 